Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. This is Hardwood Handicappers, VEASAN's premier NBA betting podcast. Here's your host, Jonathan Von Tobel. Yo, what up, folks? Welcome in. It is Hardwood Handicappers here on this Monday. We've got a good show on tap for you today. Coming up a little bit later in the program, Chad Andrus out in Denver is going to join us. We haven't really given the Denver Nuggets a lot of love, so Chad covers the Nuggets out there for 104.3. We get his thoughts on uh, what the Western Conference chances look like for the Denver Nuggets now that that arms race is complete and the Mavericks and Suns have added to their arsenals. Um, you know, I'm just going to note, I don't think you guys can hear the man in his leaf blower outside my window, but if you hear it, I apologize. That's what's happening right now. All right, so it's a big day. I know it's President's Day, but also, by the way, so I'm taking a little time off uh, this week. Got to take the kid out to Mario Land on Thursday at Universal Studios Hollywood. Did you know? I mean, maybe you guys are listening to this. No? Um, when I was a kid growing up, we got President's Day off. But apparently out in California, at least, they get President's Week off. Like, it's the whole week. I had no idea that this was a thing. Um, so, I don't know why I'm mentioning that. I just thought it was pretty fascinating. It ties into why I'm heading out for a week. Uh, you know, I won't bore you with the details. But still, it ties into why I'm out for a week. Also, the All-Star break, so it all coincides somewhat nicely. Anyway, we have a big day. Outside of the recap, full just play-by-play recap of the All-Star game. We won't do that. We have some big news in the association. So let's get the show started like we do every single time with some of the headlines around the league. Hardwood headlines. All right. Well, it's finally happened. All the signs have been pointing to this union actually taking place. And sure enough, it seems not official because it can't happen for about 48 hours. But it seems that the Los Angeles Clippers are planning to sign Russell Westbrook once he clears waivers. That'll happen 48 hours after the uh, Jazz release him by amount, whatever. That's the, uh, the time frame. He's got to be out for 48 hours, not claimed, and then boom, he will be a free agent. And it sounds like the Los Angeles Clippers will be signing him. So, on the surface, let's just start this with this. It does not seem like the worst union in the world if you were to add Russell Westbrook to the Los Angeles Clippers. I can understand the fit, and we'll get into the specifics of that, if Russell Westbrook does what he is supposed to do at the position of point guard and changes his game to fit the pieces around him with the Los Angeles Clippers. Having said that, what I don't really understand is a team that had been playing the way that it had been going into the break, 10 out of 14 games they had won, it seemed that they had found a point guard in Terrence Mann 
at least to, to service them some, somewhat, right? A guy that doesn't need the ball in his hands, uh, a guy who can play off ball and shoot. Terrence Mann shooting just above 36.5% from three this year, so he fits wonderfully in that lineup. I just didn't really understand the need to get another guard to force him in that lineup. Now, you're saying, like, well, John, Terrence Mann's a starting point guard, right? Doesn't that, well, why does that matter? Russell Westbrook's going to come in, come off the bench. Well, according to a report from Law Murray, who covers the Clippers for the athletic, and I'll just say this, Law does a great job, and I've never met him before. But looking at some of his reports, it's very clear, much like Shams, his connections are player-driven, right? So it's it's agents, it's maybe the players themselves. It's very much the message from the player's side. So maybe there is a little inaccuracy in this reporting. But having said that, Law does a really good job, and he talks to people. So Law reports that a league source confirms to The Athletic that Russell Westbrook is headed to L.A. today to take a physical. Expectation is that he will start with the Clippers, but it may not be right away. Here's the thing. Reading that language right there, and the language of these reports always really matters. The expectation is that he will start with the Clippers. Is that Russell Westbrook's expectations? Is that what the team told him? I just don't really understand that, right? Because I know that like Nikias, um, Nikias Duncan, who does a really great job uh, covering a lot of stuff um, for, I think it's, I want to make sure I get his name right, yeah, Basketball News. He does a great job. Um, you can follow him on Twitter, Nikias NBA, N-E-K-I-A-S. He was going down the path of like, hey, you know, all these doom and gloomers with this fit, I don't really understand like why you would be so negative. Russell Westbrook actually kind of fits with what they're doing. And I can understand that. If Russell Westbrook, and I tweeted this out earlier today, the Clippers need a north-south point guard. It is what they, it's what they have missed the most in this regime for Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. There's not been a guy who can get downhill, attack the basket, and either get to the free throw line, attack within four feet, or get some drive and kick opportunities to get the ball moving, get defenses rotating, and find open shooters for lineups that are littered with shooters. It, it, it's, it, there has not been that presence for the Los Angeles Clippers. They have made do with point guards who are kind of like combo guards who can play off ball, who can facilitate, but can also shoot and spread the floor. And that's what you're seeing with Terrence Mann. My problem here is, first off, the numbers. Terrence Mann, when he's on the floor at point guard for the Los Angeles Clippers, the Clippers are outscoring opponents by 5.9 points per 100 possessions, according to Cleaning the Glass. When Terrence Mann is at point guard with Kawhi Leonard and Paul George on the floor, they have a plus 6.8 net rating. So outscoring opponents by nearly seven points per 100 possessions. The experiment of Terrence Mann starting at point guard for them has seemingly worked. So what I don't understand is if the report is true that the expectations are that Russell Westbrook is going to start, why, why force that into a group that is actually starting to work things out and showing some positive returns, right? Those are really good net ratings with Terrence Mann at point guard. Those are good net ratings with Terrence Mann at point guard with Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. Now, you're talking about maybe 20-ish games. Again, remember, these back-to-back situations, Kawhi's going to sit out of them. We know that for sure. So, you're talking about maybe less than 20 games to get this thing acclimated. And I just don't understand that aspect of it if you're going to force this to happen. Now, again, Russell Westbrook, the archetype of the point guard that they need, he could totally play that game. He is a very violent attacker of the rim. He has a gravity to him still when he gets to within four feet of the basket. My problem here is, again, like to kind of push back on the thought of like, what are you talking about? It it might work. Yeah, you're right. It might. And he might fit better with them. 
I want to make that clear, too, as I'm talking about this. There is certainly a path in which this really does work for the Los Angeles Clippers. I just push back on forcing him into the starting lineup, and, and we'll see about some closing lineups, too, because what the Clippers have been doing lately is closing out games with uh, one of their uh, three and D guards out there, we'll call them, right? Eric Gordon closed out the game against the Phoenix Suns the other night because, of course, Norm Powell was hurt, and Norm Powell has been replacing Terrence Mann in some of these closing lineups as well as their kind of lead guard. So closing out games, does Russell Westbrook find himself out there? I would think not. Um, but again, that goes to the dynamic of what this relationship is going to be like. But Russell Westbrook this year, so let's just talk about this. So Russell Westbrook this season, right? 44% of his attempts within four feet of the basket. That works. You need a guy who's going to attack the rim. Russell Westbrook comes in this season with 44% of his attempts coming within four feet of the basket. That's freaking great. That's what you need. And that is the type of guy that you need. And if Russell Russell Westbrook can do that, that is something that would fit with the Los Angeles Clippers. The problem, too, though, the problem, though, is we're kind of expanding on what the issue might be here. Within four feet of the basket, despite the fact that he's taken 44% of his shots there, he's only shooting 58% on shots at the rim. That's an atrocious percentage. Your shots at the rim, you should be shooting well over 60% on attempts within four feet of the basket. Let's just say that. Like, if you look at throughout his career, like a best, a good number for him, 64%, 63%, somewhere in that range, you should be above 60%. You should be when you're taking with shots within four feet. So he's taking a lot of shots within four feet. He's not finishing at a at an above-average level. So that's not really great, but whatever. The gravity, again, of him going to the rim and attracting some defenses and getting them to suck in so he can kick it out, that works pretty well. But the overall efficiency is the problem. And and to give him some credit, too, foul drawing, he's done a great job. This year, 13.2% of his shot attempts he was fouled on. That's a really elite number. That's in the 92nd percentile of guards. So, again, that could work. Problem? is that he's shooting 65.4% at the free throw line. That's not very good. That's not very good. And what percentage of shooting fouls drawn did the player also make the shot? 20.6% for Russell Westbrook. That is in the 31st percentile of guards. That's not very good. So if Russell Westbrook comes in and he is committed to playing the role of facilitator, committed to the role of getting within four feet and creating these driving kick opportunities. Again, there's certainly a universe in which that works. Is he going to be active off the ball? Because Paul George and Kawhi Leonard are going to have the ball in their hands quite a bit. Is he going to be Russell Westbrook who just stands in the corner and does nothing when he doesn't have the ball? Or is he actually going to start to be active? Is he going to cut to the basket? Is he going to set screens? It was these things that over in the Los Angeles with the Los Angeles Lakers, those things just didn't really happen. And again, do you have to do it as often with this kind of a team? No, probably not because the Clippers do have better shooters. But you still want some off-ball activity from Russ when he's not going to have the ball in his hands. Or is he just going to stand there in the corner and do nothing so teams can play off of him and then crowd the paint and then just ruin all the spacing? That is my big question here. So I don't like I don't mean to come on here and sound like a Debbie Downer by any stretch. Again, I think there is certainly a realm in which this thing works out. And I'm I'm almost positive that he is not going to be closing out games for them because they need defense and shooting when they're closing out these games. And these lineups that have been closing out games with Norm Powell show, have shown to be somewhat effective, uh, it seems. I'll get the actual numbers for those lineups um, right now. 
But like in terms of observationally, it does seem that those lineups had been working out pretty well for the Los Angeles Clippers. But like that's my worry, man. It's just whether or not Russell Westbrook is going to buy into the role because we saw with the Los Angeles Lakers, and I want to stress this too, he was hardly the only problem for the Los Angeles Lakers. But we did see that there was a resistance to buying into a different role when he was playing off the ball. Will he do that here with the Los Angeles Clippers? That, I think, is your really big question as you're looking at it um, with this marriage that it looks like is going to happen. So from a betting perspective, there hasn't really been any change. Uh, Los Angeles Clippers over at DraftKings, still at 9-1 to to win an NBA championship, bottoming, uh, bottoming out, I should say. Um, at other places, at about 12 to or 11-1, to I think was the best price that I last saw over at Circa. Doesn't, it's not really going to change championship stuff. It's not going to have an effect on the odds. And we will see what his role is going to be early on and whether or not he is going to force his way into the starting lineup. I will also say that Ty Lue seems to be a coach that is willing to make you unhappy if it's not for the best of the team. The best example that we saw of that actually was at the beginning of the year with Kawhi Leonard, where he was very open about not liking what Kawhi's people were trying to get him to do, which is get him to come off the bench. He was very vocal in saying that that was not something that worked out for him. So with Russell Westbrook, pretty good shot that if it's not working out, Ty Lue's going to pull the plug. Overall, I just don't... What turns me off is that report from Law Murray about this thing being a eventually he will start deal. That just doesn't really make much sense. And I, that's why I do feel that's more coming from the Westbrook camp than anything else. But we'll see. We'll see. So the Clippers get Russell Westbrook. It's not a fit that I hate. It's not a fit that I love. It all just depends on what type of Russell Westbrook the Clippers are going to get. With that, the other bit of news uh, coming out of the NBA, really nothing crazy because it is All-Star Week. Just got to track what's going on with some of these injuries that we're seeing out there in the world of the NBA. First off, uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo, it does seem, is going to um, undergo some tests when it comes to his wrist. So for those who did not see uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo, he injured his wrist in the last game before the break that was against the Chicago Bulls, sprained his wrist. It caused him, I think he played 10 seconds in the All-Star game. Did I see that? I don't know. I, uh, 20 seconds, excuse me. Um, I, I don't really, I didn't really watch the game. I hate to admit. Actually, I don't hate to admit. I'm proud of it. I didn't watch the game. Sorry, folks. We all know what the All-Star game is at this point right now. And if you're complaining about it, I mean, I don't know what to do for you. All-Star games for every single sport outside of baseball have not really been that great. And even with baseball, the games have been competitive because in recent years, the games have meant something. Give it like 10 years. It'll turn into a groove fest where guys are just lobbing softballs and just trying to get out of there. Just remember that. That's my theory. Anyway, so Giannis is going to travel to New York today to undergo further testing on his injured right wrist. So that's going to be something to track. They, The Bucks made it seem like it was not very important, the injury, that it wasn't really anything to be concerned about. But a trip to New York to get out to more testing, that sounds like something you should be worried about. I could be wrong there. But that sounds like something that is somewhat serious. And this is a Bucks team, as I've talked about on this podcast many times, being undervalued by the betting market. They're in the midst of a 13-game win streak as they head into the break. So that is going to be something to monitor. The other, and I don't think this is as serious, but speaking of the uh, All-Star game, I don't know who saw it, but the it, like LeBron James went up to, I don't know if he went to go block a shot um, or anything like that, but 
he went to go block a shot, I think it was, and his finger got jammed up into the rim. It was like in that weird pit between like your fingers. So I don't think so. I don't know if it's like insanely important. LeBron James has said that he'll be fine after leaving the All-Star game with the injury. So just something to monitor, something to monitor. Okay, let's take our break. When we come back, Chad Andrus, 104.3 from Denver is going to be with us. Take a look at the Denver Nuggets, a very, very interesting team, obviously in control of the top seed in the Western Conference, but the conference beneath them in the last few weeks has gotten a lot stronger. How strong is their positioning at the top of the West? We'll talk a little MVP as well in terms of Jokic, and you'll be surprised to know that Chad, who's really big on Jokic, does have a bet to make in the MVP market not named Nikola Jokic. Here are three reasons Zinn is America's number one nicotine pouch. We use food-grade ingredients. We have a wide selection of varieties, and they all come in two strengths. Find Zinn at a store near you. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. (sighs) Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is... And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet that's right up to $1,500 again sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in Ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park that's 1-800-GAMBLER Back here on Hardwood Handicappers, let's welcome in Chad Andrus, 104.3 out in Denver. Does a great job covering all of Denver sports and has a really good feel for what the Denver Nuggets are and uh, what they will be. So, Chad, first off, appreciate it, as always, recording this on a Sunday night. So, stepping away from your uh, all-star game festivities, I know you have big parties every single time. Uh, let's start with, I'm kidding, let's start with uh, the Denver Nuggets and and really just where they're at from like a roster construction standpoint. And I think one of the big flaws that they have, which is the lack of a true three and D threat along the perimeter. Right. And that I think is, is what the big problem is with this roster construction is they are one major piece away on the wing, a great three and D guy of being a, a truly elite team and a contender. But the problem is, is how do they get it? with the pieces they have to offer because they don't have picks and they had very little that they were willing to offer up because it's been what three plus years now that this organization, this franchise has been committed to getting the group they have healthy and giving them a shot to make a run at it. So it was highly unlikely that they were going to trade any of their big four or the players they consider their big four. 
So, yes, uh, you're 100% spot on in terms of what they need to kind of keep up in the arms race and maybe put them over the top or even on an even playing field with a Boston or Milwaukee, uh, for example. But the question is, is how would they have gone about getting it? And that's the thing that uh, I don't think they were able to figure out. Yeah, and, and I, I realized it was kind of unfair of me to maybe just throw that out there too. It's it's always easy from that from, from my perspective, right, to go say, why don't you go get somebody? Uh, it's a lot easier <laughs> to execute, right? It's a lot harder to actually execute that in that regard. So then let me ask you, like in terms of what the Western Conference now looks like when we talk about the Phoenix Suns, uh, what the Dallas Mavericks are, what the Clippers could be and are kind of showing flashes of, uh, although they have whooped the Clippers' ass for a, for a while now when it comes to these matchups, uh, how worried would you be, at least in terms of, the Denver Nuggets, the way this roster breaks down and how they match up with a team that has Kevin Durant or with a team that has two offensive options like Kyrie Irving and Luka Doncic. I don't think anybody's worried, but I, I do think that there uh, is definitely some raised eyebrows and cause for concern just because this team has struggled for several years now uh, on the perimeter defensively. And when you have elite scoring options and you're saying you're going to have to win maybe not just one but two series of – Kyrie Irving and Luka Doncic or Devin Booker and Kevin Durant as perimeter scorers. Yeah, they did things to upgrade themselves and help themselves out with KCP, with Bruce Brown. Um, you know, they are are playing better team defense and they have shown uh, in particular quarters this year that when they really need to, they can. Um, the one thing that this team has not seen though and has not been tested on is that elite physical like conference finals type of defensive style that um, not only will their offense, which is elite will encounter, but they will have to raise their game to defensively against those types of backcourts against those types of scoring machines. And that I think is the one thing that is a legitimate concern just because they haven't experienced it. We haven't seen it. So we don't know how it is going to play out in those matchups. Yeah. And that that's, we I'm kind of sticking on defense a little bit here just because like at, the, at one point this season, I think that the lowest they were were like it was like 27th in like non-garbage time defensive efficiency or mid 20s. Uh, they've improved it. They're now 14th in non-garbage time defensive efficiency overall. But if you kind of sift through their specific numbers, Chad, like 24th, I think in transition defense right now, according to Cleaning the Glass, uh, and 20th in half court defense, like those are the things like they've improved their overall defensive efficiency. But it's hard not to stick on this team defensively and see that, like in some of those matchups, like that's sh- that's probably going to be this team's Achilles heel. Yeah, I don't I don't think there's any question about it. And I think when you when you look at the team, you're going to have to take what you can get in terms of their best defensive effort. Hope Aaron Gordon is 100% completely healthy, uh, along with Catavius Caldwell Pope, because those are going to be the keys when you're looking at stopping or even having any kind of a chance to slow down those dynamic scorers in the Western Conference. Those guys have to be absolutely at the top of their game um, for the Nuggets to have any kind of a chance there. But the counter is their offense is going to have to maintain an elite level. They're going to have to continue to score and shoot the three at an elite level and be the best in the league to overcome some of that because they are not going to step back up when it comes to to the defensive end of the court. Uh, you mentioned Gordon. Anything concerning there? He, Like you said, he's been popping up on the injury report lately right before the All-Star break. Is that like a long-term thing, or is it just get some rest during the All-Star break? He'll be fine. I think it's more rest for him. The more concerning thing is probably Jamal Murray and the other knee with the flare up. 
and how long it's taken, it's going to amount to essentially three weeks for those guys having rest with the games they sat out and now the long break and they're not back on the court until Thursday when they, they go to Cleveland. So hopefully that is enough for them the rest of the way, meaning you know the, the final stretch of the season and into the playoffs, and they won't need much more rest. The schedule gets really, really interesting for this team down the stretch. So if Gordon and or Murray or anyone else does have to sit and it's not by choice when they have a comfortable lead for the number one seed, um, things could get a little bit hairy if this team is not locked in to have home court throughout. Yeah, and the, uh, the schedule, if you look at it right out the break, is actually kind of hairy for them. They play Memphis twice. They get Cleveland, like you mentioned, right out. A home game against the uh, Clippers. And uh, really, after that, it lights up a little bit. You get some Eastern Conference. They have an East Coast trip uh, that is left up. And then when they come back home, Milwaukee, Philly, New Orleans, and then back on the road against Phoenix, Golden State. So uh, it's a relatively challenging schedule for Denver uh, as you look at them going forward. The other part I think that everybody's going to point to uh, and it's a big reason why your guy, uh, Nikola Jokic, has such a strong case for most valuable player, uh, the non-Nikola Jokic minutes. Now, bench rotations tighten when we get to the postseason. I think everybody knows that. Uh, but this is a team that has a negative 12 net rating without him, an offensive rating of 107.6. Uh, how big of a danger is this when he is not out there on the floor? Hopefully much less once Reggie Jackson starts playing and Thomas finds his footing in that second unit. That's the two huge difference makers for a second unit that score and has been the biggest reason that that margin, those numbers are so extreme when Jokic is off the court is because the bench hasn't been able to score and the offense does not run through him. I think that if, uh, if these guys can manage to work their way in and, and find their footing in terms of what they want to do within the structure of the rest of that second unit, I think they're both experienced enough. I think they're both good enough offensively to make a, a significant impact there to where you won't see such drastic splits in those numbers, um, but still they have to do it, right? We, we've got to see it from them. I think they were both good pickups. I think they'll help the second unit. The question is how much? So and I think that's okay. This is more of a fair question then, right? Because I was like, how come you don't get an elite three and D guy? How come they never really address backup center? Like that's kind of a fair question, right? Backup centers can be found at a relatively like achievable price. Yeah, and a lot of people had, had said all year, watch out for Mason Plumley to come back at yeah. the deadline, right? That ended up going to LA, and it would have been a perfect fit here, right? Uh, you know, provide a little more athleticism, rim protection, and a guy that passes, right? So they can still play a very similar way. Obviously, that that didn't happen. I had actually joked uh, at the start of free agency when they were so quick to sign DeAndre Jordan. Uh, I think my tweet was the Nuggets felt so guilty about locking up the best player in the league, they immediately went out and signed the worst one to back him up. Uh, you know, and that uh, DeAndre Jordan has been great in the room, right? His veteran presence of being a locker room guy, and they all appreciate them and think he is a valuable contributor there. But obviously on the court, there's just nothing left in that tank, right? He, he's been completely worthless. Um, Zeke Naji is more of a four, been forced to play a backup five, and they've messed with his shot a little bit. He doesn't really know where and when he's playing, how much he's playing, throw in some injury concerns there where he's been on and off the court. It just there hasn't been anything consistent. I don't know why they didn't address it sooner. Uh, although I do think Thomas Bryant is a, a, a pretty capable answer at the deadline for what they were working with. So once the Phoenix Suns go and get Kevin Durant, they bully their way to the top of the odds board. They are now the favorite to win the Western Conference at plus 235. Nuggets get pushed to the second choice at plus 390. Uh, I've been making the case that I think that the market 
has been a little uh, a little overreactionary here, pushing Phoenix all the way to the top. And you're going to get that when teams acquire a piece like Kevin Durant. Um, do you think that the Suns should be rated above the Denver Nuggets? Like, give it if we know that Kevin Durant's going to be at full strength. And I actually wrote about this today. It's going to be in our newsletter, I think, on Monday or Tuesday. You know, this is a Phoenix Suns team that is going to have less than 20 games with Kevin Durant. If you assume that he's going to sit second legs of back-to-backs, I think they have three left. If you assume that he's not gonna, he's not going to be back right out of the All-Star break, because they've said he's going to be back soon after the All-Star break. We're talking about less than 20 games, Chad, for this team to get together to gel before the postseason starts. I think it's a lot to ask, and I think the market's wrong in putting them ahead of Denver and others in the Western Conference. I would agree on the basketball side, right? But, you know, if we're talking about the wagering side, you know people are going to bet Phoenix, right? I mean, that's where all the the money's going to go. So we know that, right? I mean, Jokic is about to become a back-to-back-to-back MVP, and he had to – make sure he walked over to LeBron so he wasn't the last player picked in the All-Star game, right? Uh, I mean, we, we know what the public perception is and where money is going to go. No one is going to believe in the Denver until they do it, until they at least get to the finals and show they can navigate through the Western Conference and Jokic can dominate in that way the way he does in the regular season. Um, the question, I think, for me, the only remaining question for Denver, and, and it seems like it should be obvious with the All-Star break being as late as it is and, and so few games left and a five-game lead in the West, home court is everything to this team. Uh, at 27-4 and four at the break at the home court, they have 10 home games left. Depending on where they stand the final week, um, you know, will probably dictate if they drop two or three or four the rest of the way because – you know, if they've locked up the number one seed, who cares? But if they haven't, and I do think it is still a little bit in jeopardy because they play Memphis twice. They've got a long East Coast road trip. When they come back from it, they have Milwaukee and Philadelphia uh, starting like the final nine games of the season, right? It's, it's right in that area where they can't start to rest guys yet because they won't have anything locked up, but it's right before that. And then in the final six games of the year, they play at Phoenix twice. So um, it can get hairy if, if things go off the rails a little bit here. Um, And that is my only concern is if they somehow don't end up with home court, if they end up with home court, I think they should be the favorite. I think they should get to the finals. Yeah. I mean, I love this team outside of, you know, watching them play my Clippers because, uh, as I mentioned, they've absolutely demolished the Los Angeles. You know, Clippers since since the three since the three one Clippers lead in the bubble, it has yeah. been total domination. Yeah, I've been very strongly like of like the mindset, like, hey, look, like you know, I've been kind of pounding the table. You know, the Kawhi PG numbers are pretty elite. Like, don't freak out. They're starting to show some continuity too, heading into the break as well. That was a really good win over Phoenix before the All Star break, but. Uh, I, I think they want to desperately avoid a second-round matchup. with the. I think they want to avoid Denver entirely, to be honest with you. That series is going to be, a, a, I think, a bloodbath if it's the Clippers. But we'll see. Maybe they unlock something and they actually do show that like you were talking about with it. Um, all right, before we get to the MVP, really quickly, since we're talking about the Clippers, I want to get your thoughts on this because you're connected, you talk, and you're out there. Uh, a lot of people were expressing the, oh, my God, how did they give up Bones Highland for the cheap price that they did? I don't think a lot of people, he was on the fringes or out of the rotation before he got traded to the Los Angeles Clippers. So what happened? Like, what happened with Bones Highland and uh, the Denver Nuggets that, that forced them to trade him for, you know, a pretty cheap price? 
there was no market out there. And I, and I think that was a bit shocking. I tried to warn Nuggets fans about that because Bones was a fan favorite here, right? He's he's very likable guy. He had the Mile High City baby and he had t-shirts and he had a sandwich named after him at a bar, right? I mean, he, he was out there. He was kind of becoming Mr. Nugget, right? being being the model guy for the media and the fans to really love and get behind the electric score off the bench. The problem was sharing the ball with Jamal Murray on that second unit. When Michael Malone made the decision that Murray was the guy that was going to stagger to try and help that second unit offense and Jamal was so ball dominant and it took Bones off the ball a little bit, he really, really struggled. And a lot of people thought those two had problems. They claim otherwise. They say they're good and, and they're boys and everything. But when Michael Malone sat out, uh, I think it was three games for um, health and safety protocols, and David Adelman was on the bench. Bones got pulled uh, after a bad stint in the second half, and he left the bench and he walked up into the tunnel. And people were speculating, was it injury related? What was it? Um, it was pure frustration because he knew he was yanked and he was out and he wasn't going back in the game. Right. And what makes this a little bit unique. And, and I wonder if it would have been different if Malone would have been on the bench and it wouldn't have been Adelman as a substitute that set in motion, a string of events where bones basically did not play again. Um, he found himself out of the rotation. He was seen as disgruntled. He said it was a lack of communication from the coach staff. Um, from the fan standpoint, from the media standpoint, this is the Yusuf, Yusuf Nurkic situation all over again. I think a lot of the fans are frustrated here because he was such a fun player when he gets it going, but it had reached a point where he thought he deserved um, a little bit more run. He thought he deserved to be a little bit more in control of running the offense and being a point guard. Um, and apparently the, the coaches and the rest of the teammates saw it a very different way once he walked off the court. And we'll see if the uh, the Clippers with a, uh, a recent but rich story in history of a six-man of the year, because he fits that uh, archetype, right, of a six-man of the year bench guy. Um, like you said, electric in that Jamal Crawford-esque type role. Uh, we'll see if that's it. Lou Williams as well, and of course, Montrezl Harrell. So I, I'm excited as a Clippers fan uh, to see what he can be if they actually develop him and he sticks along the right path in terms of the maturity stuff. Uh, it's a pretty good piece to pick up on a cheap price. Uh, all right, let's go to the MVP conversation. Although the odds would say there's not much, and Tim Bontemps' poll would say there's not that much of a conversation. So he is now Nikola Jokic minus 250 to win most valuable player. I will start with this. I am not one to tell people who to vote for in any realm of life. Having said that, Chad, uh, when you look at the, the straw poll, did you have the same reaction that I did, which was twofold? First of which is, um, who in the world put Jokic fourth on their ballot? Because I think there were, what, three people who did that? Two or three people who did it? And also, who are the three people who left Giannis completely off of their ballots? I thought that was insane. Yeah, uh, I concur 100%. And all respect to Joel Embiid, uh, I think even to Jason Tatum, the, the offensive numbers that are being put up in the NBA are, are absolutely absurd in there. Are so many talented players. I understand why each respective fan base wants to make a case for their guy. For me, trying to watch the league as objectively as I can and watch who affects winning Right. Um, I, I said the other day, I think uh, Twitter needs a filter on it. If you type MVP into Twitter, uh, a pop-up quiz should come up 
and ask you if you've watched each player play at least 15 full games before you're allowed to type and send the tweet, right? Um, because I think what happens is, is they watch their teams, they watch their guys, and they don't watch the others. I think it is Jokic or Giannis, and it is 100% crystal clear between those two guys. Uh, I think a lot depends on how they finish in terms of where their teams finish. But I think it's very, very clear that the voters are more informed than they ever have been. And I think they've got it right the last four years. And I think it's going to be one of those two guys again this year. Yeah. I, th- I thought it was pretty interesting. Like when, when I'm Mike, when I've talked to people about this, what I find fascinating about the dynamic with Jokic is to your point about voters being more informed, we usually see the opposite, right? Like we usually see the voters kind of fall out of love with guys because of, as we have termed it, voter fatigue, but it actually seems to be the opposite with Jokic. It seems that NBA voters are becoming more keen and more aware of just how impactful his presence is for Denver. And like he's they're like they're liking him even more, right? It's the opposite of usually what we see. Usually we see these voters kind of get tired of guys, but it seems like they're they're appreciating Jokic more and more as the years go by. Well, I mean, give yourself a little credit, right? As much as you study numbers and the effect on the game and other podcasts, right? Guys like Zach Lowe and guys that that put real concrete information out there and watch everybody play. Don't just watch the national game, right? It, It makes a difference in the narrative, right? Because there's more options to get information. There's more informed people who are passing along information. Um, on a night-to-night basis, right, those two guys are just so absolutely incredible. And again, I go back to how they affect winning for their teams. And, you know, we, we joked here, like we thought it no chance in hell Jokic would get a third straight MVP before the season started. And everybody's like, well, what would have to happen? It's like, well, they'd have to be the one seed and he'd have to average a triple-double and he'd have to shoot 60% from the field. Well, he's doing all of that. So, yeah, um, he's doing it all, right? Um, You know, he's shot under 50% one time this year. And they're 25-0 and in his last 25 triple-doubles. So his numbers affect the outcome. It's why they're the number one seed. Right. And I would I would make the same exact argument for Giannis. I think he is almost equally deserving and he may pass him if the Bucs continue to stay as completely red hot as they have been. Yeah. And you hit on that. So when the the straw poll came out and I got hit a lot on the network, which was like, hey, so, you know, do you bet do you bet Jokic now? Because the straw poll, you know, came out and he has such a commanding lead. My response was, no, actually, this means you're betting Giannis because Giannis is ahead of Joel Embiid. And yet the market still has him at like seven to one, well behind Joel Embiid. That was my takeaway from the straw poll. Not to take away anything from Jokic, but I think you're making the point for me, which is if there's a bet to come out of that straw poll, it's go fire on Giannis because he's coming and he's ahead of Embiid, but the market has yet to adjust to that. Yeah, that's exactly what I did. Um, whether whether I heard you or it was subconscious or we were just, um, you know, thinking alike uh, at the same time, uh, I did exactly that, right? I'm in Denver and, you know, I, I'm a big Jokic guy. I love him and he will be absolutely deserving if he wins. Um, as soon as that poll came out and the numbers changed, I did bet Giannis. Again, that's Chad Andrus, play-by-play, media Host extraordinaire out there in Denver, Colorado. 104.3 The Fan is a spot. You can head up denversports.com as well to find his work. And at Chad Andrus, A-N-D-R-U-S, up on Twitter. Chad, we appreciate the time, as always. And for everybody else who's listening to the podcast, 
I want to say thank you. Make sure to like, rate, review, subscribe. We'll talk to you later in the week on Hardwood Handicappers. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts.